Are you a Dragon Boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon-fiber Dragon Boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the Dragon Boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. My guest on this episode is Westry Corridine. At the age of 36, she was diagnosed with stage 4 invasive ductal carcinoma after finding a penny-sized lump on her back. We talked about her course of treatments over the past nine years, as well as the complications and side effects that she has experienced. Take a listen in as Westry shares her story behind the pink ribbon. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Westry Corridine. She was diagnosed at the age of 36 in 2011 with invasive ductal carcinoma that was stage four. So I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about you finding the cancer. I mean, you were 36, so typically that's not the age um, that's recommended for mammograms. So how did this happen for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, like you said, I was 36. And since I was under 40, uh, the doctor didn't request one and it was not in my family. So it was obviously the last thing that I thought as far as diagnosis. So actually, my um, cancer first presented itself with a lump in my back. Um, and I had been feeling very achy and feverish. Um, so I went to the doctor for that. And then in passing, I said, Oh, I also have this, this lump on my back. And there happened to be a dermatologist in the next door office. And he said, let me see if I can get you an appointment there. Um, so they were available right away. So I literally walked next door. Um, and he did a biopsy and he said, come back in a week. Um, at the regular doctors, they did blood work and, uh, we were waiting for that as well. So when I went a week later, he said, um, uh, he couldn't believe it, but it was, uh, cancer cells originating in the breast. So obviously that was a big shock because yes. uh, it was the last thing. Right. That I, so, that I so where in your back did you have the lump? So it was like more like kind of like below the shoulder blade 
um, it was just kind of like a, you know, bigger than a mosquito bite, um, maybe the size of a penny. Okay. Um, yeah, and I had my husband had found it there, seen it there, and you know, and you know, you know, sometimes us women are moms, and we don't go to the doctor right away. We just let it go by. We think of everybody else, and and so it was kind of weird that I found it that way, as opposed to um, the traditional mammogram or or yeah. anything with a gynecologist. So right. So you know, because they had already done the biopsy on the back and had, Mm -hmm. you know, indicated that it was originating from the breast, did they do any mammography at that point or they just, you know? No. Okay. No, I never, I've yet to have one actually. I've never had one still to this day. Um, No, they started with a mammogram and, I mean, sorry, mammogram, no, um, an MRI and a PET scan. Okay. And the PET scan showed that it had already um, been metastasized to almost all of my bones, really. I was full of tumors, pretty bad. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, and that's, I mean, really, that has to be pretty staggering to hear, Um, especially. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially I'm, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, it sounded like you were just kind of like, oh, well, you know, there's a there's a bump on my back, you exactly. know, uh, you know, you you indicated that you didn't really have a whole lot of pain. I mean, you were achy, but not right. Exactly. Yeah, he, he, the doctor even thought um, he took out blood work, and I had lived in uh, Guadalajara, Mexico, like the year before, and he thought maybe it was some kind of you know amoebas or something that was presenting itself now a year later. So it was the last thing that me or anybody anybody thought, especially it wasn't in my family. And at that time, I think it was more people would talk about more how um, is it in your family? Is it in your family? Even though now we've learned that uh, that's not always the case. Right. So did they, I mean, did they even test you for the genetic mutations at all or just because there wasn't a significant history, they didn't even look at it? No, they did. I did do, and I was negative um, with the with the genetic testing. Um, yeah, so she did it once. They did the PET scan um, and found that it was stage four. She wanted to put me on chemo right away. She put the port in right away. But then um, they, I was so severely anemic, hence why I was feeling so feverish and so weak all the time. So she decided, my oncologist decided not to do um, regular uh, chemo through the port. So at the time, it was kind of like a godsend because at the time, for me, the biggest thing was like my hair. And I know that's a big deal for a lot of people. And for me, it was too. For other people, it's not a big deal, but for me, it was. Um, So they decided to put me on regular oral chemo. And I took that for five years. Oh, wow. Okay. So so did they... You know, that so they, well, first of all, they put the port in. Did they then end mm-hmm. up taking that out or? Was no, that I actually, I actually still have it because okay. at the time um, they did still give me um, Zomeda. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's for bone strength since okay. it had already passed in my bones. So yeah, you have to get that like every, the doctor decides every one to three months. Um, just because obviously if you have uh, it in the bones already, they're more fragile, they're more susceptible when you fall, to breaking. So um, it's for bone strength. So that I would use my port. And um, and eventually I did have to use it because after five years, uh, my cancer did return. So, okay. um, yeah, so, that was about four years ago. Okay. So, you know, in terms of, so they did the chemotherapy um, and mm-hmm. obviously they're, they're trying to strengthen your bones. 
what was the recommendation in terms of any kind of surgical removal of the breast or, you know, what was, what was the recommendation for that? So we did do, I did, I chose to do the double mastectomy, although I only had it on the right breast. Um, I decided to go ahead and do both. I did, I was uh, supposed to do 28 sessions of radiation, but um, I got so severely burned. I only ended up doing 25, so severely burned that it literally burned a hole in my breast, on my right breast. Yes, I had to go to a uh, care, uh, burn care center. I'd have a nurse come twice a day. They'd come and clean it. It was literally a burn. And you could see actually the implant um, where the nipple would be. Um, you could see the implant through. It was so bad. So, um, since it got so bad, the skin was so thin, they couldn't, um, reclose it. They had to get a piece. I know there's a term for it, but they had to get the skin from my back. Okay. Um, Go ahead. Was it the latissimus muscle? The lat flap? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And they I put have the it same on thing. my breast. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. why I know. <laughs> Only because I have it too. Yeah. So I have that on my right breast. And um, so I call, I have one pretty boob, I call it, and with, you know, full nipple, and the other one is not so, but. it's fine look I hear you I totally hear you because I have one side well I don't have any nipples um okay you know which I don't know that I've necessarily mentioned on the podcast but now everybody knows um so yeah one side is you know very full and you know looks good and then the exact same side my right side is um you know there's an indentation you know I have the lat Mm. flap and um you know it it looks like a football scar that's on my um on that side yes exactly I heard somebody call it I remember uh like a chicken cutlet (laughs) you know and I remember someone told me about that before I got this and I said oh yes thank goodness I don't have to do that and sure enough (laughs) I had to do it but oh well you you learn to to, you know, love your body anyways, right? Well, that's, yeah. I mean, and really it's one of those things where we start to, you know, adjust and we have to figure exactly. it out. And, you know, exactly. I mean, there's, yeah, you can't Put change it. Put it into perspective. Yeah. But I will tell you this and, um, you know, this is, so I recently just had um, an organization called Handful. It's a, well, it's a company called Handful mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. offer bras and they have pads that, Um, They will give you free pads, plus you get a 30% discount. Um, But I'm going to plug them because I have that indentation and wearing Mm -hmm. that bra, you cannot see the indentation. So oh, the, wow. Okay, so they look even. They look even. They look symmetrical. And I will tell you what you know, just having the bra on makes me feel so much better because it is of course, so obvious in my clothes. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, just just something to potentially look into, um, okay, you know, if, if that's something that's a struggle for you. Okay, perfect. So, <laughs> yeah, just give them that, that little plug. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm just, I, I think about radiation and I'm curious mm-hmm. what you think. Um you know, because you did the the oral chemo and you did that for five years. And of course, I do want to talk about, you know, kind of what happened, you know, a few years later where the, the cancer had mm. come back. But, you know, a lot of people take, you know, a lot of people think that chemotherapy is worse. Um, mm. You know, they, there's, I feel like radiation is kind of one of those things where they're like, ah, you know, it's so easy, not a problem, you know, but that's really not the case. So I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, um, you know, 
in terms of the side effects and, and just the way, you know, the physical impact on your body, yeah. what, what was the harder part for you? Well, right off the bat, I can say radiation for me was definitely mainly because it, it was a, a burn. So I was super uncomfortable. I, I, you know, I couldn't, everything would stick to it. So I had to be very, very careful. I didn't want to leave the house. Um, so as far as pain, that has been the, the most uncomfortable, the biggest pain. Um, the first five years when I was on Zalota, I mean, I had no symptoms, um, with the exception of one, which was, uh, hand foot syndrome um basically your hand and your feet become it's very hard to explain it's kind of numb but with like a tingling um and they become very red and very very dry um so that can be uncomfortable but i would have taken that over any other i didn't feel nauseated i wasn't down i mean if you didn't if you saw me you would never think that i was going through something so those first five years of of just the oral chemo was amazing um fast forward though when it came back and then um i did have to finally do regular chemo and then i finally did have to lose my hair um you know the radiation now compared to losing my hair yes obviously i didn't want to uh i don't want to feel pain but you know it's kind of like childbirth once it's out after a while you forget about it yeah um and so now the, the losing the hair. Yeah, it's not painful, obviously. But you know, I have two girls, two teenagers. And, and obviously, actually, for them, there was it was no big deal. It was the weirdest thing when I lost my hair, I was more worried for them, um, what they would think or how they would feel among their friends. And it turned out to be a blessing. They really taught me that you shouldn't really care. So um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it was it was great. But to answer your question, definitely at the time, radiation has probably been the hardest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I yeah, I mean, I I just, you know, everybody's so different in the way that their body responds to certain things, you know, obviously you had significant impacts on both the inside and the outside. My impact really happened more on the inside and less on the outside. I was, I really just looked like I was, um, you know, sun tanning, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in just one little part of my chest. So that's really what it looked like. Um, but I've, you know, I've met people that have had, you know, some really serious and significant burns, um, as a cause Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. So, you know, so you're, you're doing, um, I mean, the, the cancer is in your bones. So, you know, at that point, you know, my understanding and, you know, I'm, I certainly am not stage four and it's not something that I'm overly versed in, but I, I have a lot of people who, you know, I know, but once it in, it's in your bones, that's not necessarily curable, correct? No, definitely not. There's always, I'm always going to have it. It's just um, stage four, people always are listening for the word stable. So as soon as you hear the word stable, then it's just how long can you go on that medicine or that chemo um, for it to be not stable? And then you kind of have to go back to the drawing board. So like I said, you know, those, I, the first, my first medicine was for five years and that is amazing. Um, but then you have to go back when it comes back or it stirs up or the cells get active again, then you have to go back to the drawing board. And that's why it's so important to have an oncologist that really is up with the times and has the latest things, because as we know, things are changing every year with, with new and improved, um, medicines or, or treatments. 
Right. So that's why that that's really important for sure. Okay. So yeah. So I was just you know I was kind of thinking like you know. I know that it's it's not cured, but I was just kind of mm-hmm. curious in terms of, you know, when you talked about it came back. So it really went from being stable, Correct. it was there, but it was stable to being unstable and seeing more activity. Exactly. That's exactly what it is, activity. Okay. So the PET scan showed activity. And when it came back, it just was showing a lot more in the bones. Um, and at then at that point, I went on a clinical trial um, for a little while. Um, that didn't work. I think it only lasted about three months. Um, so we had to try different things at that point. Okay. And so was the um, was the cancer estrogen progesterone positive? Positive. Yes. Okay. Okay. So yeah. did that then lead to any conversation of? you know, having a hysterectomy and oophorectomy, was that something that was also presented to you? So, yeah, I forgot to mention at the very, at the very beginning, they did also take out my ovaries. So um, it was a blessing that I already had my two kids. Um, but that put me in menopause literally that night. I remember that night having um, hot, uh, hot flashes. So they, night sweats. did they do them both at the same time? In the same operation? No. Oh, okay. I actually did the ovaries. I did the ovaries first, and then they did. That was in. I got uh, uh, diagnosed September twenty sixth of two thousand eleven. I got the ovaries removed almost right away, and the mastectomy was in May of the next year, two thousand twelve. Okay, the double mastectomy. Mm-hmm. So the I'm assuming that maybe the idea was get rid of the ovaries Correct. because they're producing so much estrogen, and if it's positive, right. it's just going to continue to fuel um, the cancer. Correct. And uh, FYI, I didn't realize that your um, ovaries are the only part of the body that, that pro- they're not the only part of the body that produces uh, estrogen. Your brain does as well. Very limited, but the most is obviously your ovaries. Right. But other parts of the body, yeah. So, um, yeah, so there's side effects, obviously, with, with that with that first operation. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had that done, too. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, That's a whole other (laughs) set of symptoms. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and so how old were your girls when you were first diagnosed? I know that you said, you know, they were teenagers when, you know, it, um, you know, kind of recurred. Yeah, they're they're teenagers now. Right now they're 15 and 14. At the time when I first got diagnosed, they were uh, six and seven, first grade and second grade. Um, so you can imagine, you know, how, how difficult that was. Although I will say probably at that age, they're kind of like, since I didn't really look sick, um, and I hadn't lost my hair at that point and my worst symptoms were under my clothes. Um, it didn't, I would think it didn't affect them as much. Um, as I, as if it would have, I would have lost my hair right away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so they really didn't see, and, and I wasn't bedridden. I was my same peppy person. I was doing everything, um, the same. So I think for kids, you know, they out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, if, if everything else is pretty typical and, you know, normal as it, as it was, you know, I don't think that they necessarily pick up on things. Right. And you you, know, you kind of, you kind of, the parent kind of sets the pace. If they see you down and frustrated and sad and everything, of course it's going to affect them more. But if, if not, then, then they won't notice it as much. 
Right. So did you have a conversation with them and explain that you had cancer or was it just, you know, kind of let's not dwell on it? Like, how did you approach that? Well, we definitely did use the C word, as some people say, um, with them. But I think at that age, they didn't realize like, oh, my mom has uh, the possibility of dying. They didn't see it that way. They just knew that I was that the doctor was going to give me some medicine um, that maybe it might make me sick. It might not. Um, but to try to make me feel better and to uh, to keep living every single day the way we've been living. Um, so obviously you put it in their terms and at their age level. Um and that's what I decided to do. I had a really good friend that she was the, the counselor at the school, and she was a really good friend of mine as well. So she worked with them very good. We, we go to a, a private Christian school, and there was so much support there, so much prayer and so much of faith. And they really took my girls. They, they made a special group for them with Aww. other moms uh, with other kids of moms that had uh, breast cancer as well or cancer. So they really took them under their wing and it was such a blessing. It really was. So, I mean, that's amazing. I don't know. I mean, I work in a school. Um, I've Mm -hmm. I've worked in education for 20 years and I don't know of any place that I've worked where they have had Mm -hmm. a group where, you know, they pulled some kids together to, um, you know, work through some of those exactly. things. Yeah. So exactly. that's amazing. I mean, that is truly yeah, amazing. And you know what? And I, it wasn't an accident. I feel my family's full of faith and um, I'm actually a teacher as well. And I had just started working at the girls school. Um, I was there a month and a half. I hadn't worked for, gosh, um, about six, seven years. Um, and I went back only because there was a fourth grade position and she knew I was a teacher before, and so the girls were there, and I thought, oh, it's perfect. So I had only worked there a month and a half when I got diagnosed. But by then, all the teachers knew me, um, all the parents knew me, so that power of prayer, literally the whole school, it was like yeah. over a 1,000 people were praying for me because they have a, a prayer chain uh, email. So, it, you know, I, I feel like everything was uh, was a godsend, really. Yeah, well, I, I wholeheartedly believe that the universe mm. um, comes Definitely. together. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, and definitely, for, <laughs> for sure, sure. For yeah. sure. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, thinking about you had talked about w- when when the cancer started becoming active again. You did a clinical trial and you did all of that stuff. Um, so, where where are you now? Um, you know, are you stable at this point? Are you still receiving treatments? Okay, so. Um, when I told you that it became active again, I tried various things. But last July, um, the left side of my face became totally numb. Uh, we rushed to the hospital and they did an MRI and they found that I did have a tumor in my, uh, not in the brain, but in the skull. And so on the right side, and which was affected, it was hitting on the nerve, which affects their left side. Right. Of the body. So hence, that's why the left side of my face and still is numb. You don't see it, but I feel it. Um, I take gabapentin for that, which a lot of people um, are on for neuropathy. Um, So that happened then. So they put me on a new drug. And then um, about two months ago, um, they did another PET scan. I do it every three months. They found that it was in my liver um, for the first time. Um, so it was really my first organ that I had affected. 
Um, so at that point, it was my breast, my bones, and my a little part of my liver. They saw activity there, so they put me on um, aribulin, um, which I think another name of it is uh, halivin. Um, and then just last month, unfortunately, I did a PET scan, and uh, they found that it has crossed over to my brain. So um, it's hard to talk about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and if you're not okay with talking no, no, about I'm, it, I'm it's... fine. Okay, <laughs> I'm <Okay>. fine. <laughs> but um, it passed over to my brain, so um, they decided to instead of the arubulin, they were about to start it. Um, they decided to put me on another clinical trial, and it's randomized through the computer. So you can either get um, I can't remember the name, the clinical trial, or you get the second one, which would be the second standard of care, and the computer picked standard of care, which I was a little bit bummed about. However, it's what my doctor would have put me on if there wasn't this clinical trial, she said, because it also has amazing results. Okay. okay. Um, so, uh, so I'm on that, and that was for technically that was for the liver um, when they just found that it's in my brain. Um, this Wednesday coming up, is it this Wednesday? Yes, this Wednesday coming up. I'm sorry, next Wednesday, they're going to do a lumbar puncture, and the neurologist wants to put an additional chemo, mexodestrine, I think it's called, through my lumbar puncture. So I'm, I'm going to be doing the arubilin, um, which also can affect, it's just good for the brain also. It could cross the, the brain barrier, but in addition, they want to put a second chemo through the lumbar puncture. Um, so, so trying to attack it both with both ways, um, even though it's the very beginning of the brain, it's still obviously very scary. Yeah, definitely. um, For the brain. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's where we're at right now. Praying that that works. Um, I am starting to lose my hair again for the second time because when I did, um, I did, uh, I'm sorry to go back, but when I, when I got the, my face numb in July, they did six sessions. I can't remember the chemo, but I did six sessions and there's when I finally lost my hair. And then when they started this aribulin about a month ago, 25% people lose their hair or thin and I'm starting to lose it again. So it's very thin. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so that's where we're at now. <laughs> but your daughter's taught you that you don't need to take care of what anybody thinks. No, yeah, I definitely don't <laughs> care. I don't care. It's just yeah. more like, oh, my hair was growing. And, yeah. You know, just kind of like to go backwards. But obviously, I'd rather be alive than, than have my hair. Like one friend that has cancer, she says, less hair, less cancer. So <laughs> yeah. I love that. That is, yeah, <laughs> I truly love that. Um, yeah. You know, so your, your story for me is... Um, pretty unique. I think you're one of Mm -hmm. the very few people that I've had on that um, came into this journey immediately as a stage four. Um, Right. You know, I've, I've had a number of guests that, you know, they were early stage or they were stage three and it had progressed. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I, I think, you know, in the time of doing this, that you are one of the very few, if not actually the first um, that immediately came in at a stage four. So, you know, I think, I mean, that's a really hefty, hefty thing. Um, And, you know, the reality for you is, you know, more so than a lot of us is, you know, the the fear of of not making it through. Um, 
what advice or what what would you offer somebody, um, you know, that maybe they're in that same situation where, you know, they're coming into this at stage four? Um, what would you offer to our listeners in terms of, you know, any kind of advice? Well, I would say first you have to trust your oncologist. Um, it's so important that you have that faith and that trust in your oncologist. Um you know, a lot of people said get second and third opinions, and that's for some people, that's great. But I felt so secure, and it was like a kind of like a gut feeling um, that I totally put my trust in her. Um, that I didn't, I didn't qu- start questioning, and I really felt like she was put there like for me, um, and she had the answers. Um, because if I started doubting or if I started thinking, what if, what if, then I was going to physically and emotionally go crazy. So first I would say that. And then people will come at you with so much advice and from a good place. I mean, they, they, people will give you articles, people will give you books, they'll give you, well, I heard here, or you can go here. And of course they, they do it with such love and you do have to listen, but kind of the carpet decarpament what's the word like compartmentalize I think it's the word oh yeah you put it you put it you know you kind of put it like on the back burner and you kind of say okay thank you and you just put it in the back burner and you only you only gravitate or um maybe get one or two people that have been through this because if you start listening to everybody you'll go crazy if you start googling and start getting advice from everybody you'll drive yourself crazy so maybe just trust one or two people that maybe not exactly have gone exactly what you've gone through but in maybe kind of the same story or uh same journey um so that you can gravitate with that and and be able to move forward um because of not, you'll literally go crazy. So I would say definitely that's a good advice. I decided um, after everyone said, oh, I have a friend that went through it. I have a friend that I just picked one person that I hadn't even met yet. It was the weirdest thing. I hadn't even met yet, but she was a friend of a friend. And for some reason, I spoke with her on the phone and everybody else, I just kind of said, yes, thank you. And with her, I just really took it to heart and really uh, took that extra step with and would call her for advice, would pray with her, would get as much information as I could. Um, yeah, so definitely those two things. Trust your oncologist, trust one or two people, and then obviously, you know, have a lot of faith and be positive, be positive. Yeah, well, and I think those are, I think those are really great things. And, you know, I, I can only imagine the amount of information that people, you know, throw at you. I know that I, I got the same thing. You know, I had mm-hmm. articles in my mailbox at work and, <laughs> you know, and again, exactly what you said, it really does truly come from a place of love, um, right. you know, but it, it can be very overwhelming. overwhelming. Yeah. So, Absolutely. yeah. So I think yeah. that's great information. Um, you know, I want to, first of all, thank you so much for reaching out um, to be a part of the podcast for taking Absolutely. the time today and sharing your story. Um, you know, I know that it's definitely going to inspire inspire our listeners. Thank you. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, 
please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.